All right, Jabal Sai, good morning, good morning. Let us begin. Let us begin. Baruch Hashem, a lot to do today. And uh, Baruch Hashem, a lot to do today in general, not just the daf. Just a lot to do and accomplish today. We begin by thanking all of our sponsors to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Elul. Um, get to them in just a moment. To thank our Talmud Torah sons of the month of El, Shani and Avram Kelman, for dedicating all the Shurman Drushos this month in honor of Bichil's engagement to Alana Falik and in memory of their parents, Jerome and Bernice Kelman and Alexander and Frederica David. To thank Barak, Maya, Sandy Hafman, Dora Limas, and Avi Malamid for dedicating all the Shurman Drushos this month in memory of Ruven Ben Emanuel. To thank Ayala and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema for Shulamis Bas Susha. To thank our Dafyomishir for dedicating the Shurim this month in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema for Yehuda Ben Michal. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Hilary Jacobs in Kent and Akiva Kent in memory of Mordechai Menasha. Ben Shmar Yahu, Milton Jacobson, Zichron Livracha. To thank Nathan and Beth Adler for dedicating the Week of Learning in memory of Ben Adler, Achaber Baruch Mordechai, Ben Moreno Rab Nasson, Zichron Livracha. We open under the merit of our Tamator, the Neshamal Haven Aliyah, and the family Einachama. We thank our additional sponsors today, our Dafyomi sponsors, Baruch Fischel and Sonia Kozlovsky, for dedicating the Shir today in honor of the birth of a son to their daughter, Penina Rivka Shacht, Sonala Yosef Shacht, Mazeltov. To the Gramps, to the Kazlaski, to the Shachim Mishpacha. What a beautiful, beautiful way to close out one year. And the Mirat Sashem paved the way for the other. And we thank our share of the sponsor today, Sayyidin Simahakin, for dedicating this share in the Skus of a Refur Shalema for Tova? Talia Miriam Bas. Orli Yehudit. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, she will have a complete refuah together with Kol Cholei Yisrael. Rebose, with that, let us begin. Today's daf is Pei Aleph, 81. And we are picking up Emir Hashem on the bottom of Pei Ahmed Bey's at the Gemara. Thank you to Rabbi Richter for giving such a, such a wonderful shir yesterday. And Rebose, let's go. Iboy Here we go. A lot to do. Iboy Shomeres Yavam Shemesa. So we'll say, here's the interesting case. Let's see, I have a Shomeris Yavam who dies. So remember again, we know our case, we know our case of Shomeris Yavam. We're experts in Yibam already after we spent, how long was it, Yavamus? Five and a half years, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> so we'll say, so remember again, Ruven's married to Rachel. Ruven dies without children. Ruven has a brother who survives from Shimon. Shimon has an obligation to do Yibam with Rachel. So before Yibam occurs, so Rachel is called a Shomeres Yavam, a woman who is essentially waiting for Yibum. So what's that? So let's say again, Rachel passes away. Rachel passes away. So what is the halacha? Shomeres Yavam Shemesa Mikhovra. Who has the obligation to bury her? An interesting shayla. So the Gemara says, let's analyze this. Yershah Baal Kavrila, the Karyasik Suba. Do we say the inheritors of the husband? I both say, who's, who are the inheritors of the husband? So remember again, do we say that a sentence, now remember, the inheritors of the husband is Shimon, right? Shimon is the brother. Because remember again, when Reuven passes away, so Reuven's family inherits him. So do we say that essentially, again, it's the husband's family who has the obligation to go ahead and bury her? Oh, Dilma Yershia Av Kabrila. Or maybe it's the inheritors of the father. And I will say the inheritors of the father in this context means who? Her inheritors. Her inheritors. Because remember, again, again, she also has inheritors from her family. So essentially we're asking, who has the obligation to bury her? Is it her husband's family? In other words, we frame that as those who inherit the husband. 
or is it her family? We term that as the inheritors of the father. So the Gemara says, let's analyze this. Amrav Amram Tashma, the Sanyo, Shomeras Yavam Shemesa, if a Shomeras Yavam dies, Tapa Pe Aleph, Yarsheha, Yarsheik Suvasa Chayavim Bikvurasa, her inheritors, interesting, her inheritors, Yarsheik Suvasa, those who inherit her Ksuva are obligated to go ahead and bury her. Now both say, who inherits her ksuva? Who inherits her ksuva? Remember again, it's not her family. Ultimately, again, Yarshay Ksuva will be her husband's family. Look at Rashi just a moment. Now remember again, this is a different kind of case. Because remember, this is a Shomeras Yavan. So that means, again, remember when Rachel dies, when Rachel, sorry, when when Ruben dies, now Rachel falls to Yibum to Shimon. Now remember again, who inherits the estate of Reuven? Who inherits that estate? Essentially, it's Shimon. So now the Ksuva, remember again, is levied against the estate as well. Remember, that's why we know Shimon the Yavam doesn't write a new Ksuva, right? Whose Ksuva does he use? He uses the old Ksuva. Again, when we say Yorshei Ksuvasa, Yorshei Ksuvasa is essentially the husband's family. Since they inherit the Ksuva, since they inherit the Ksuva, they also have the obligation to bury her. We also learn this. We also learn this. The Gemara says, An Amona is sustained from the estate of the Yisomim, and any earnings she has belong to them as well. But they are not obligated in her Kvura. But the, her inheritors, those who inherit her ksuva, they are chayiv to go ahead and bury her. The Gemara says, but one second. Who is the amana who has two sets of inheritors? Who is that? Ultimately, you know, we'll say this is the case of a shomeras yavam. So we'll say it's very interesting. The shomeras yavam herself has two different sets of inheritors. On one hand, again, she has the inheritors of her husband's, her deceased husband's estate, which is now the Yavam, right? Shimon and the family, and her father's family, who are the inheritors ultimately, again, of any of her properties. Therefore, Abosai, the Gemara wants to suggest over here that those who inherit the Ksuva ultimately, again, are the ones who will be Chayef for her Kvura. Who inherits her Ksuva? And Abosai, I want to be clear. When we're speaking about her ksuva, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about the 100 or the 200 zuz. What are we not talking about? Nechsei melog, nechsei tzon barzel. That's not when we say your ksuva. So we're talking about who is it that stands to quote unquote inherit, inherit the Iker ksuva. Who inherits the Iker ksuva over here? It's the husband's family. So because the husband's family inherits the Iker Ksuba, therefore Halakha they also have the obligation to bury her. And Rabosai, that is indeed how the Rambam Paskins, the Rambam Paskins in Hilchos Ishus, Parachav Beis Halakha Yud, Viyarshe Habal Chayavin Bikvurasa. Those who inherit the husband are the ones who are obligated to go ahead and bury her as well. So therefore, ju- just, just to reframe, just to reframe, I'm giving you that Rachel a little bit early, but just because I want to make it clear. So remember again, Rachel's married to Ruvain. Ruvain dies without children. Rachel now falls to Yibam to Shimon, Ruvain's surviving brother. So now what's the halacha? Now Rachel dies. When does Rachel die? Before Yibam has been performed. Shabbat says, what's the Shiloh? Very simple Shiloh. What's the Shiloh? 
who pays for the Levaya? That, that's it. Who pays for the Levaya? So says, so again, the Gemara essentially comes to the conclusion, obligation of burial is tethered to Ksuva. So whoever inherits Ksuva, ultimately again, assumes obligation of burial. In this case, the Ksuva, remember again, is always against the estate of Ruvain, the deceased husband, who inherits the estate of Ruvain, his surviving brother and family members. Just as they inherit the Ksuba, so too they inherit the obligation to go ahead and bury Rachel. Good. So I'm Rabbi, so I'm a So again, I gave you the conclusion before the Sugis worked through, but again, we'll go through it now. I'm Rabbi. So Rabbi says, why can't the surviving brother Shimon, why can't Shimon say, listen, I'm just inheriting my brother, right? That's all I am. I, why should I assume any level of obligation for the burial of Rachel? Because essentially we come upon him, we come upon him from two different directions. If you truly inherit your brother, that means you also inherit what? The Ksuva obligation. If you inherit the Ksuva obligation, then you have an obligation to bury his widow, to bury your Yavama. And by the way, if you're not going to bury the wife, no problem. Then what should you do? Pay out the Ksuva. Pay out the ksuva, and then the burial expenses will be paid ultimately again from the ksuva itself. Amalei, hachi hachi ka'amina. This is what we mean to say. Amalei, hachi ka'amina. Ach ani yorish, es ishto einani kover. So again, why can't the surviving brother say, listen, I'm just inheriting my brother. Had there been yibum, I'm going to be do yibum. But why should I assume the obligation to bury her? Now you're going to tell me, so now you're going to tell me like this. So Shimon, see, remember, Rachel died while she's waiting for Yibum. Shimon says, I'm so sorry about the loss, but not so sorry that what? Not so sorry that I'm paying for the Leviah, right? Again, you know, emotions only run so high. Right? So again, I'm, I'm not paying for the Leviah. And again, at the end of the day, why should I? Why should I? Again, if we would have done Yibum, of course, I would have, she would have been my wife, but I would have taken care of her Leviah. We didn't do Yibum. I inherited my brother. Why do I inherit the obligation to go ahead and pay for, pay for a burial? So you're going to tell me, fine, don't pay for the burial, but pay her Ksuva? Why should I have to pay out her Ksuva? After all, the Gemara says, This actually is a fascinating statement. A Ksuva is only meant to be paid when the husband is alive. Now, now what does that mean? Take a look at Rashi. Ligbos Mechaim. Kozman Shabal Chai. Right? Aksuva is not payable while the husband is still alive. Essentially, what we're going to say, this, is, this phrase essentially means is, Aksuva is not, literally translated, Aksuva is not payable while the husband is alive. There's another way of saying it like this. Aksuva is only payable when a woman is able to marry someone else. In this context, was Rachel able to marry someone else? No. Why? She was subject to evil. So Shimon could claim, why well, should I have to pay Aksuva? Aksuva is payable when a woman is free to marry someone other than her husband. In this context, ultimately Shimon says, I'm an extension of Ruvain. I'm an extension of Ruvain, the deceased husband. So Halacha Lamaisa, again, she was not free to marry anyone else. If that's the case, the Aksuva is not payable. Also, I, I really, I, so in other words, I shouldn't have to pay for a burial, and I shouldn't have to pay for the ksuva. So I will say, so man the isle medrash ksuva. And I will say, this concept, now this is very interesting, because what Shimon in this case is advancing is this idea 
that a ksuva is only payable, the way he phrases it is, a ksuva is not payable when the husband is alive. And I will say, you know that that statement is not totally true, right? Sometimes a ksuva is payable when a husband is alive. Like when? Like divorce. What it means is, the ksuva is only payable when the wife has a right to marry someone else. In this case, Shimon says, she didn't have a right to marry someone else, she's tethered to me. So now she died, I'm sorry, but why should I have an obligation to pay out the ksuva? To which the Gemara says, Man shamas le'i de'islay medjush ksuva. We'll say, who is the opinion who says that we darshan the words of a ksuva? So in other words, we'll this concept must be rooted in the text of the ksuva itself. So who is the one who tells us that we're medayik in the wording of the ksuva? Look at Rashi just a moment. Man shamas le'i de'islay medjush ksuva. And she says, Shedor ishlashan ksuva. Shekasuv bo, l'cheshetinasi la'acher tidli ma shekasuv lechi. Because we'll see in the Ksuva it says, when you marry someone else, you are hereby entitled to whatever your entitlement is, 100 zuz, 200 zuz, whatever else it might be. But, but I will say, but the Lushan is when you marry someone else, which tells us that Ksuva is only payable when a wife is entitled to marry someone else. So who darshans the Ksuva? Beishamai. Beishamai also holds that what? Shtar ha'omid ligvos kegaboidami. We'll say, but Baishamai also holds that a document that is roi, that is fit to be collected, is as if what? It's already been collected. Look at Rashi. So Baishamai is one who makes this deal, right? That Allah saw, Aksuv is only payable when a woman is able to remarry. In this context, she's not able to remarry because she's tethered to the Yavam. But it's the same Baishamai also said that a document that is ready to be collected, or I should say a chov, a, a loan, or a, an obligation that is ready to be collected is as if it has already been collected. If that's the case, then the truth is the woman herself should be muhsak in the ksuva. After all, the Gemara says, this nan, mesu ba'alein achlo shasur. But say interesting case. Transitioning to loan, sota. Who's sota? Sota is a woman who is suspected of committing adultery. Now remember again, we go through a whole process. She's warned in front of two witnesses violates the warning. So now, Halach her husband brings her to drink the Mesota in the Beis HaMikdash. What happens if Halach the husband dies before the bitter waters are administered to her? What happens in that context? What happens if the husband dies before the wife gets to drink? So Beishamai says, she gets her Ksuva and she does not have to drink. Basil says, no, no, no. Either you drink or you get your, right? I'm sorry. Either you drink and get your ksuva or you don't drink and don't get your ksuva. To which the Gemara says, one second. Basil says, how could the wife drink once her husband is dead? After all, the Torah says that in order for the, for the wife to drink, what has to happen? Her husband has to bring her to the coin. And in this context, the husband can't bring her. Why? Why? Yeah. He's dead. To which the Gemara says, Ella, rather what Basil means to say is like this. Rather what it means to say is like this. Since the wife cannot drink because her husband is dead, therefore what? She does not get, she does not get her ksuva. So let's go back. Beishamai Omrim, Beishamai says, not los ksuva, so, so Beishamai says, she takes her ksuva, she gets her ksuva, 
and she does not drink. So we'll say it's fascinating halacha. See, here you have this woman suspected of adultery. The process could not continue because the husband died. The husband died. So therefore, halacha lamaisawat, what do we say? She gets her ksuba. She can't drink, but she gets her ksuba. So the says, va'amai. But why should she get to drink her ksuba? Why should she get to take her ksuba? Va'amai. Sveikahu, suffix zanoi, suffix lo zanoi. Now we'll say, remember again, what's the suffix? What's the suffix? Maybe she committed adultery. Maybe she didn't commit adultery. And I will say, so tell me. So I will say, so why should a suffix, right? The suffix, motzi mi vade. So I will say, so interestingly enough, so there's a suffix that she committed adultery. Now what's the halacha if a woman committed adultery? She loses her ksuba. She loses her ksuba. So, so the suffix come and go ahead and obliterate the vadai, which is that at one point in time she had a ksuba, so we'll say this is incredible. Beishamai holds that any document that is fit to be collected is as if it's already been collected. Beishamai views that a woman is in possession of her ksuba. That's how he views it. Since there's an entitlement that's there, therefore Beishamai views it as if she is in possession of it. So interestingly enough, Beishamai will therefore hold that in this case where there's a suffix, did she commit adultery? Did she not commit adultery? And right, if she committed adultery, she loses her ksuba. If she didn't commit adultery, ultimately she doesn't lose her ksuba. Sa'alach alamaisa, the Gemara says like this, the suffix that maybe she committed adultery will not remove the vadai. What's the vadai? The vadai is that she is in possession, so to speak, of the ksuba. That's why the Shammai says in a case where the husband died, he couldn't administer the bitter waters to her, she'll collect her ksuba. So therefore again, so remember again, what, what's our case that we're going back to? What's our case? We're, we're going back for just a moment and trying to figure out Rachel died while waiting for Yibam, right? Rachel was married to Ruvain. Ruvain died without children. Rachel is the Shomeris Yavam to Ruvain's brother Shimon. Now while waiting for Yibam, what happens? What happens? Rachel dies. So what's the Shailah? What's the Shailah? Who buries her? Who buries her? So the Gemara wanted to suggest that Halacha Lamaisa we should say to Shimon, listen, either bury her or pay her a ksuva. Pay her a ksuva. Ultimately, again, but now the Gemara is saying, so why would you have to pay her a ksuva? It must reflect the view of Beishamai, because Beishamai says something that you're entitled to is as if it's already been collected, in which case perhaps she really had the ksuva already. But here's the problem. What about the phrase, what about the fact about say that the ksuva itself says, that the ksuva is only payable when, when, when ultimately again she is able to marry someone else. And here she is not able to marry someone else because she is tethered to the Yavam. What about that piece? Um, Ravashi, Ravashi says, Yavam nami ka'acher dami. That's easy, Ravashi says, no problem. The Yavam is an acher. Right? The Yavam, when she married, when she married Ruvain, and in the ksuva it's written, when you, be, when you are able to marry someone else, ultimately you can collect your ksuva, falling to Yibum, being subject to Yibum, and now being ready to marry Shimon, that's also Acher. That satisfies that clause, ultimately, again, of when you're able to marry someone else. So I will say, again, I showed you the Ramah a little bit early in the Sugya, so the way we pass in Allah, I will say is, and I just want to point out just the logic. Remember, the obligation for a husband to bury his wife is Tnai Ksuva. That's one of the obligations in the ksuba. So essentially what we're going to say is like this. Halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa, whoever pretty much owns the ksuba 
is going to have the obligation of burial. That, that's really what it comes down to. So in this case, when Rachel dies, waiting for Yibam with Shimon, who inherits the Ksuba? Who inherits the Ksuba? It's Ruvain's family, Shimon, and the remaining brothers. They inherit the Ksuba. Again, I'm we're speaking about Ksuba. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? 100 or 200 so Property she brought into the marriage, Nixay Malog, Nixay Tzom Barzel, that reverts back to her family. But who inherits the Ksuba? It is Ruvain's family, the deceased husband's family. So Shimon, the other brothers, they inherit the Ksuba. Once they inherit the Ksuba, they also assume the obligation to pay for Rachel's burial. That's how he passed him. Beautiful. Shalach le Rav Labanye, Biad Rav Shmaya Barzera, Omi Nitna Ksuba Ligbos Mechaim. But one second, let's analyze this. So is the ksuba really collectible while the husband is still alive? Which is, again, another way of saying a ksuba is only collectible when, when a woman is able to marry someone else. So if the husband, so to speak, is alive, and we're including in the husband that yavam as well, is the ksuba really collectible? To which the Gemara says, Vatanya, Rabbi Abba Omer Sha'alti as sumchos. I once that sumchos. It was a fascinating case. Harotze shiimkar benichse achiv keitzeru oseh. Shabbos said, listen to this fascinating case. Listen to this fascinating case. Shabbos said, so now, so now remember, remember, what we're asking now here is, is a very simple question. We're asking here is, Halacha Lamaisa, how do we view the Ksuva, how do we view the Ksuva while Rachel is waiting for Yibam with Shimon? How do we view that? Do we view that ultimately, again, like we just said before, that Shimon the Yavam is an Acher, is another person, and therefore essentially the Ksuva is collectible by Rachel. She's not going to get paid out, but it's technically collectible. Or do we say, no, the Yavam stands in place of who? Of the husband, of the deceased brother. And therefore, again, she's not permitted to any other man. If she's not permitted to any other man, then Allah says the Ksuva is not collectible at all. But I will say, the reason why this question is very important is as follows. Let's say again, Ruvain dies, Rachel falls to Yibam before Shimon. And now what happens? And now what happens? Shimon wants to sell property, right? He wants to sell property that, that belonged to Ruvain, right? Because now he effectively inherits the estate. He wants to sell property. Can he sell property from the estate? Can he sell it? Technically he can, but here's the problem. What's the problem? All property of Ruvain's estate is what? Is encumbered to Rachel's suva. So here's what I will say. Often people don't, it's even today, right? What, what do you do? What, right? what do you do when you go ahead and you want to buy property today? The first thing you do, a title search, right? You want to make sure there's no liens against the property. So interestingly enough, any time that a man, that a married man sold property, I will say, there always is an encumbrance, to be clear, right? Anything, this is a good thing to know in life, anything and everything you own, right? And will ever own is encumbered to your wife. I don't mean that like in a metaphorical sense, right? I mean that like in a literal legal sense. This, this, this is what you write in the Ksuva. Even the shirt on my back is encumbered to the Ksuva. So, I'm say, so watch this. In this case, Shimon the Yavam, Shimon the Yavam wants to be able to sell off property of his brother's estate. So how does he do it? But he wants to sell it unencumbered. Watch this, this is incredible. So what, how, what should he do? If he's a coin. He should make her a nice suuda, make a, ni- a nice suuda, and ultimately, again, appease her. I was going to say, what does he need her to do? What does he need her to do? He needs her to release claim on properties. Now, not on all properties, because remember, let's say her ksuba is 200 zoz. So I will say, so here's the issue, interesting with ksuba. Even with ksuba is 200 zoz, and let's say, let's say Ruvain 
has 10,000 zuz worth of property. So even though there's only an encumbrance of 200 zuz, that 200 zuz encumbrance right, devolves upon everything. So if he's a coin, if he's a coin, a pizer, he says, make her a suda. I don't think sudas work contemporarily, right? There'd probably be something in the jewelry realm that work a little, a little bit better. The point is, make her happy, get her something nice, do something beautiful for her, and essentially get her to actively release her encumbrance upon the property. In other words, upon the property in excess of the value of her ksuba. All right. So that's, you have to do it. In Yisraelu, if he's Yisraelu, what can you do? Megarish beget v'yachzir. Divorce her. Divorce. And I both say, now again, I want to plan, this is a planned divorce. In other words, that this is a divorce with, a, with, with again, a remarriage. That, that's the goal over here. Divorce her. Divorce her ultimately and then remarry her. Rashi says over here, Megar beget so what you could do is you could divorce her, divorce her, go ahead and, and with the plan, we're going to divorce, right? You get your ksuva, so to speak. Now the property is unencumbered. Sell off whatever you want to sell off and remarry her. And remarry her. And by the way, we're going to talk about this halacha. When, you, when a man divorces, divorces and then remarries his wife, let's say he did not yet pay out the ksuva. If you divorce and then remarry, the original ksuva could still remain in effect. It's an interesting halacha. So divorce. So I was say again, the strategy. The strategy doesn't work by a coin. Why doesn't it work by a coin? Because a coin can't remarry his divorcee. So I'll say amadeis, amadeis. And if you would think that nitna ksuva ligbos mechayim, so I'll say, I don't understand. If ksuva, if ksuva is collectible during the lifetime of the husband. Which Rebose means, if Ksuva, like Beishamai said, like Beishamai said, that a Ksuva, since it's altered, it's as if it's already collected by her. So if we want to say that maybe there's a model in which Ksuva is collectible even before she has the right to marry someone else, I have a much simpler Eitzah. What's a simpler Eitzah? So Niyachid Lashir Ksuva Bashar Lisbon. Go ahead, Rebose, saying what? Dedicate. Dedicate. Right? Or not dedicate. Yeah, dedicate. Um, Designate, thank you. Designate specific properties for the repayment of, for the payment of the ksuba, and that lifts the lien from everything else. In other words, I don't say what's the big deal there. Why do you have to start with making a suda, divorcing or remarrying her? It's very simple. Her ksuba is worth two hundred zuz. Just go ahead and say, hey, Rachel, properties A and B combined, they're worth five hundred zuz. More than enough to satisfy your ksuba. We'll take into account depreciation also. Let those fields be your ksuba. Lift the lien from the rest of the properties and let the husband or the yabam go ahead and sell off whatever he wants. To which the gemara will tamech. Veloso mas nisin. One second. If that was true, I guess we'll say pay out of a base 81b, three lines down from the top. Ul tamech, according to that reasoning. Veloso mas nisin. Ask from the Mishnah. Lo yomer lo harik suba seich munechas leich ala shulchan. We'll say in general from our Mishnah. What did the Mishnah say? A man cannot say to his wife, your ksuva is sitting on the table. I will say, now what does it mean your ksuva is sitting on the table? What the Mishnah is saying is, a man cannot go ahead and, in the ksuva, identify a specific source of payment. In other words, let's say, a man says like this, Rachel, your ksuva is 200 zuz, your ksuva is going to be paid from the three bars of gold that I have in the safe. Right? Mishnah says, you can't do that. Elo, kol mechosev achrayim ksuva. So rather, I will say, what do we say? All of his property, ultimately, again, is pledged to the ksuva. 
So we'll say, so, so again, what do you see from there? You see from there that ksuba is not collectible during the lifetime of the husband. Because the truth is, and we say during the lifetime, while the wife can't marry anyone else. Because if ksuba was really collectible during the lifetime of the husband, then what, I will say, then what? Then a husband slash a yavam should be able to identify certain specific properties. That'll be the source of payment for the ksuba. And the beauty of that is, what does that do? It lifts the encumbrance from everything else and allows the husband, the yavam, the estate to do business with the other properties. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. In the Mishnah, hasam eitz atovah kamashvala. They both say, when the Mishnah says that a husband should not identify certain items for the payment of the ksuba, that's an eitz atovah. What's the, it's good advice. What's the good advice? So we'll say, now by the way, what's the Eitzatova? Think about this for just a moment. Imagine for a moment, Ruvay marries Rachel, he writes up a Ksuva. And then the Ksuva he writes, Rachel, your Ksuva 200 is payable from three bars of gold in the safe. What's the problem with that? What's the problem? If something happens to the gold, right? Let's say the gold is stolen. What does Ruvay now have to do? He has to write a brand new Ksuva. Now we'll say, so, so, that, so again, writing a brand new Ksuva is to do. So Chazal said, don't do that. Instead, just write a general ksuva, where although it is a more expansive lien, you don't have to worry about if something happens to designated properties. To which the Gemara says, Dilo Teimahachi, Seifa, the turn, look at the Seifa that said, Vechim lo yomar adam leishtav, hari ksuva seich munachas leich ala shulchan, ala kol nechasav achrayim leksuvas ishtav. E baile lezeb, so the Gemara says, so therefore, interestingly enough, the Gemara is suggesting over here, is it possible to create a model where certain properties are designated for the ksuba? Is that possible? It is, but you need the consent of the woman. But the Chazal are telling us it's not a good idea. And the reason it's not a good idea is because once you get into that level of specificity, if something happens to the specific property, you run the risk then of what? Having to go ahead and redraft the ksuba. So interestingly enough, when the Mishnah says before that the Ksuba lien devolves upon all property, and the Mishnah explicitly advises against going ahead and identifying a specific property or properties as source for payment of the Ksuba, that's an Eitzatova. That's an Eitzatova. Oh, sorry, by the way, how beautiful is it? Saying how beautiful is it? I ever said this is what it means to be a Jew. Sounds of Gemara, the sounds of Yud Gimomidos. You see, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as an interruption, as an interruption, or you could say beautiful, beautiful to be bombarded by Kedusha on every single. I will say it gives you a little bit of a glimpse how the Ribbono Shalom feels as well. I think when in Shemayim there's like a cacophony, a cacophony of spiritual sounds. This one's learning Gemara. This one's writing a prosbol. This one's doing Atar's Nadarim. They're up to Slichas. This one's saying Kaddish. This one's doing this. And, and how much the Bosho must love it. You know, it's almost like, you know, like when your kids run over to you and they're all talking at the same time, right? So your first reaction is, first reaction is, stop it, right? That's your stop it. And then you take a step back and you say, oh my gosh. What a schuss is to be bombarded by little voices, right? What a privilege it is to be in a home where there is this cacophony of this one who wants this and this, and they're all coming to me and they all love me, and I don't know if they all love me, at least they all want something from me. <laughs> so, 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 so again, and you realize, like, it's so, it's so beautiful. This is, this is it's beautiful. Like, this is what it means to, to be a yid, constant activity, constant cacophony. 
Beautiful. Okay. The Gemara says, "Ella, the Rabbi Abba Kasha. Ella, the Rabbi Abba Kasha." So I will say again, but what do we do with this in the Rabbi Abba? To which the Gemara, look here, Ashur, just a moment. Ella, the Rabbi Abba, Ella, the Rabbi Abba Kasha. Ashur is right across the Rashi. Ad neganish la niachidla shargirish in ginaihim l'shteyan elavada taima. So I will say, I don't understand. Rabbi Abba says, Rabbi Abba says, if you want to free up, if you want to free up property in the Ibom case, what should you do? Divorce her, divorce her, and go ahead and then, and then remarry her. Simar says, I don't understand. But if that's the case, that in reality, you could just identify, designate property for the ksuva, and if she's willing, she can lift her lean against everything else, then why do you have to start with Gavish? Why employ a mechanism of divorce? that seems so much more embarrassing and so much more difficult, just agree on certain designated properties and lift the lean from everything else, to which the Gemara Rabbi Abba, Nami Lokasha, Mishum Eva. They both say, this is absolutely fascinating. Rabbi Abba says, no, it's better to go ahead and do the divorce mechanism than do the designation mechanism. Why? Because with designation, we're concerned about animosity. They both say, this is wild. Listen to this. They both say, this is an incredible Gemara. See, here's what's happening over here, right? Let's, let's go back for just a moment, right? Shimon is ready to do Yibam with Rachel. But remember, again, he wants to sell off property now. Can he sell off property? Can he sell off property? No, why not? Why not? Everything is encumbered for the Ksuva. See, he needs a mechanism to lift the encumbrance. So what, but yet he wants to do Yibam. So we'll say, so what does he do? What does he do? So Rabbi Abba says, divorce Rachel. Divorce Rachel. Go ahead and right then... So to speak, the ksuva is payable. Sell off whatever you want to sell off, and then go ahead and remarry her. You can remarry with the first ksuva. Says the Gemara Why do you have to do that? Why not just say Rachel? Do you agree? Do you agree to designate certain properties for your ksuva? Designate those properties. Lift the lien against everything else, and then do. To which the Gemara says something absolutely amazing. Designation of properties. The Gemara says we're concerned about animosity. What's the concern about animosity? What's the concern? Because if a woman knows that her husband had designated properties for a tsuba, what does that look like? What does that look like? It looks like he's preparing for a divorce. See, if he divorces her and remarries her, and they both know that essentially they're just creating a legal reality, right? To go ahead and free our properties, they're both on the same page, great, she's happy to do it. But to create a model where, again, there are properties designated for a tsuba, and that's where she lives with that reality, that creates animosity within a marriage. See, Rabbi say it's such an incredible yisod. You see, in the case of where, in the case of marriage, in the case where the property is designated, that's not a normal situation. So because it's not a normal situation, she's always left wondering, what is the status of her marriage? In the case where they divorce and then get remarried, the status of the marriage is clear. We just have to do this in order to free up a lien, but Lamaisa, I love you, I'm in it. See, Rabbi say what's the, what's the yisod? What's the yisod? The worst thing in marriage is when parties to the relationship are not clear about the intentions of the other, right? When you live with a specter of ambiguity in a marriage that undermines fundamental shalom bias. If I don't really know what you're thinking and I don't really know where you're holding, it's almost impossible to build a marriage. If I know where you're holding, I know where you're holding, I know exactly, okay? And even though I know where you're holding, and by the way, there's going to be some difficult times. You're going to get divorced. You're going to get remarried. There's going to be ups and downs. But through the ups and downs, I know where you're holding. I know where you're holding. Then at the end of the day, we can build marriage. And I will say, the same thing that's true with marriage is also true in our relationship with Hashem. See, I will say, the worst thing in our relationship with Hashem is ambiguity. Is ambiguity. Are you in or aren't you in? See, and the emotional wonders that sometimes. Are you in or you're not in? See, if I'm in, if I'm in, 
even when I make mistakes, even when I mess up, and even there, see about say, even there are days when I check out. But if Baruch knows, even when I check out, I'm really in. I'm really in. I'm committed. I'm just struggling right now. As long as Kaddish Baruch knows that I'm in, as long as there's no ambiguity, a relationship can handle ups and downs. Where there's ambiguity, that erodes at the very fundamental fabric of a relationship. It's true in marriage. It's true in emotion. What the emotion wants from us more than anything is like this. The will say this before Again, amazing timing in this Gemara. What does Kaddish Baruch want from me, from my relationship? Three, two simple words. I'm in. I'm in. Those are the words you have to say, I'm in. I'm in doesn't mean I'm always going to be perfect. I'm in doesn't mean I'm always firing in all cylinders. I'm in doesn't mean that I always what I'm supposed to do. What it means is even when I mess up, I'm still in. Incredible. Let's go back there. So the Gemara says, Just a few more lines. Don't stop for today. There was a guy, there was a guy whose brother died. And now his sister-in-law falls to Yibamtim Pompadisa. Get ready for this. Shabbos says, just imagine the scene. Ruben's married to Rachel. Ruben's married to Rachel. Right, Ruben dies. Ruben dies. So now Rachel falls to Shimon. Let's assume Shimon is the oldest brother. Right, so he falls to Shimon and Yibo. What happens? They have another younger brother, Levi. Levi, Levi wants to give a get to Rachel. Now why does Levi want to give a get to Rachel? Because Levi wants to share in the inheritance of Ruben's estate equally with his brothers. Shabbos say, watch, play, play this out. If Shimon does Yibo, if Shimon does Yibo, who inherits Ruben's estate? Who inherits it? Shimon. Totally. Totally. If Shimon does not do Yibo, but he does Chalitza, so who inherits the estate? All of the brothers equally. So Levi, it's always the little brother. It's always the little brother, right? So Levi says, I don't want you to do Yibum because if you do Yibum, you get all of Ruben's estate. So I want, I want, I'm gonna, I want you to do Chalitza. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Rachel a get. I'm going to give Rachel a get. Because remember also we learned in Yibam is a get precludes Chalitza, uh, precludes Yibam. I'm going to give Rachel a get. That way you can't do Yibam and all of us will share on the property equally. So we'll say, so Levi, Levi didn't give the get yet. He didn't do it yet, but he's getting ready to do it. So we'll say, so watch this. I'm really, my guy takes. So Shimon says, one second, hold up. What's your problem? What's your problem? Mishum Nechasi, because you want to inherit Ruben's property along with me, no problem. I'll share the property with you. It's okay. Don't, I, I, I want to do Yibam with Rachel. I want to do the mitzvah. And it's fine. I'm happy to share. In other words, I'll, I will inherit it. But after I inherit it, I'm happy to gift you a portion in the estate. No need to start making gittin. Um, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef said, listen to this. So Rav, Rav Yosef says, that's a very nice thought, a very nice thought, but at the end of the day, it actually doesn't work. In the same way that a Yavam can't go ahead and sell off property while he's waiting to do Yibum, he also what? He can't gift it away. And any promises that he makes with the property before Yibum has occurred, ultimately are what? Are null and void. Look at Rashi, almost right across. Same way that we've seen up until now, that the Yabam, while he's waiting to do Yibam, can't really negotiate anything with the estate of the deceased. So even his, so even Shimon's promise to give Levi a portion of the estate, it's very nice, it's very nice, but it's halachically meaningless. This Sanya we learned, if someone died, if someone died, 
and he left property of a hundred mona. Which is what? Ruben's married to Rachel. Ruben dies. Ruben dies. And Ruben leaves behind in a state of 100 mana. Rachel has a ksuva of one mana. Nevertheless, the Yavam is not, before Yibam, the Yavam is not permitted to go ahead and do anything with the estate. Why? Because the entire estate is encumbered to the ksuva. Sayyid Rabbo said the same way that Yavam can't sell the estate, Shimon also can't what? He can't promise a portion of the estate to his younger brother Levi. Is that to say that any time that Chazal said, you can't sell something, if you sold it, the sale is not valid? Is that true? So remember again, this is the case in the previous Mishnah where we learned that Halach a woman who inherited property after Arison. Remember this case two Mishnahis ago. What do we say in that case? Beishama Omrim Timgar. Beishama says she's allowed to sell property. Or Beisila Omrim Nosimgar. Beisila says she can't sell. And Elovi Elomodim Shimach Rabbi Nosimakayim. And both agreed that if she did sell, the sale is binding. So what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That even in cases where Chazal said you shouldn't sell something, if you sold it, what's Talacha? What's Talacha? It works. So same thing over here. I got it. Shimon should not be gifting away parts of the estate because a Yavam really shouldn't be transacting anything with the estate of his deceased brother because the entire estate is encumbered to the Ksuva. But at the end of the day, if he did it, Shimon promises a portion of the estate to Levi. It should work. It should work. To which the Imam says, Yosef. So I will say, ultimately, again, they sent this, they sent this, they sent this Shailah, they sent this Shailah, I'm sorry. So they sent this Bafar of Hanina Bar Papi. And what happened? So Rav Hanina Bar Papi sent back the answer in accordance with Rabbi Yosef. Do we literally, again, do we hang our hat on Rav Hanina Bar Papi? Just because Rav Hanina Bar Papi said that was Rabbi Yosef. Do we automatically ascribe that that? Do we automatically assume that's the halacha? Shachol lekamit rabbi yumi breid rabbi nichumi shachol kida abaye. Ultimately, again, he sent back like abaye. Abaye Bose was the one who said that if you sell something that you shouldn't, nevertheless, what the sale stands. The Amr Bar Rabbi Yosef time achrimi shachuli. And if Rabbi Yosef advances a different reason, send it to me. Nafak Rabbi Yosef dafa ashka. So Rabbi Yosef went out and he found the rice. Uh, he found the rice. Supposed to be I'm going to stop over here for today. Again, I'm leaving you a little bit of a cliffhanger. So just so you understand where I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you again. I'll say again. Apologize for the cliffhanger, but here's where we're, here's where I'm leaving off. We're leaving off in a very specific case, right? Where essentially the overarching question is: If you have property that is encumbered that you're not allowed to sell, but you sell it anyway, does the transaction work or not? The specific application of that is. Ruvain died, leaves behind an almana. Shimon wants to do Yibo, right? So we have a bracelet that says Shimon can't sell off any of that property because it's all encumbered to Rachel's ksula. In our specific case, we're focusing on over here is what? Is where Levi, the younger brother, wants to give Rachel a get to preclude Yibo from occurring because he wants to inherit equally in Ruvain's estate. Shimon, in an offer to stave off his brother's, his brother's plan, says, calm down, I'll cut you in for half. Right? I'll inherit it, give you up for half. So what's the Shiloh? What's the Shiloh? 
Does that statement work or not? At first glance, it would appear that statement is totally meaningless since the Avam has no ability to transact anything with the estate of his deceased brother since it's all encumbered. But yet we seem to see that even cases where you can't sell something or transact business, you can't do the Khatrila, but if you did it Pidiyevan, it works. What's the halacha? To be continued, Emir Hashem in tomorrow, Shur the first day of Hashem, Ba'alei Melotovah, Elosai Shkoyach. Shkoyach, 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 Sh